Institute of World Mission podcast. You're listening to the show for Adventist cross-cultural mission enthusiasts. My name is Alex Ott, and together with the IWM team, we invite you to join us today. This podcast is a production of the Institute of World Mission brought to you with support of the General Conference Missions Family of Ministries and Services. I'm quite excited about today's interview. It will be different in several respects from conversations we aired so far on the IWM podcast. Today we're bringing to you a dialogue with a young couple serving at this very moment in the mission field. Due to basic security concerns, I won't name the last names of my interviewees today or the country where they serve. But you as a listener will very quickly be able to relate to Sarah's and Gabriel's experience. Together we are exploring what it really means to live locally, to mingle with the community, to be part of the community. Without further ado, let's listen to the interview. Sarah, Gabriel, welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Thank you so much for having us, Alex. Thank you very much. So before we will jump into our topic for today, can you share with us just a little bit uh, more of your um, cross-cultural ministry background? What, what are you guys doing? So Gabriel and I are serving in Central Africa. We're working at one of our Adventist hospitals there. I function as a physician, and Gabriel is the chaplain among a multitude of other duties there at the hospital. That's very nice. And I understand you guys are recently married, too. Yes. We just got married in November, and we are, since then, back in our country serving. All right. Well, this is, this is amazing. Starting a new life together as a family and um, doing that in the mission field already. So that is, um, that's, that's wonderful. So, friends, um, we agreed to talk about a certain experience of yours, and particularly what we wanted to talk with you about was your deep desire to live as close as possible to the people of your country. Can you tell us the story? How, how has this all happened for you? How did you decide to do this? I have to say that a lot of it was a natural outcome of our process of wanting to get to know the people better and their culture and experiences that they have that we've had with the people. So we didn't wake up one day and decide, all right, today we're going to try to go native. But it came as a result of multiple interactions that we had over the series of months with the people in the country that we're serving. So for instance, Gabriel would have conversations with our guard of the compound and a few other of the locals who would hang out around our gate about agriculture. Oh, tell me what things are growing right now. Is this the right time to be able to get rice? Oh, where do you get your rice? Does your family grow your rice? We'd like to have some of your rice. Mm -hmm. And so we then, with some of the food substances that we eat, tried to, instead of getting packaged products at some of the other towns in the country, we tried to source those locally grown products from our employees, friends of employees, and people in the area. So that put you in, in a lot of interaction with, with the local people. What were the other experiences that you had with people that kind of 
helped you to build up this decision? You mentioned there were many instances. So, Gabriel, anything else? The first time we went to the market, it was not easy. I could not find the stores I was looking for. I could not find any any reading saying here we have rice or here we have beans, here we sell garlic, here we sell a bigger garlic. So it was very hard and I, I looked all around me and myself and everything looked the same thing. It seems that everybody was selling the same things. But after a time, we started recognizing that a woman with three pots around her is a restaurant. Uh-huh. So you can get closer and ask uh, if she could mix beans and rice and add a few fried potatoes for uh, a half dollar, for example. And she would look at you and know that you know the price of it, so you are a good person. So this process of knowing where the products are and what is the price was very interesting to follow. And we realized that when we knew the right price of things, not the exorbitant amounts that they would ask us, but the right amount, they would be friendly with us. And look at us maybe thinking, oh, he took the time to know how much we used to sell this. They are good friends. So it's knowing some of the insider information, things that local people would know if you wanted to be part of this community, you would know as well. Now I pay more attention when people are talking in the street about the harvest or about the price of things. And the prices stay in my mind now. And I think a lot of times in my daily discussions, I would start a discussion asking, how much cost the peanuts this week? And then people would be very interested in answering this because there are things that are deeply rooted in their daily life. So, Sarah, um, on your side, uh, are there other things than, than knowing the, the prices of the market and, and some of the things that people do? Anything on your side that you could add to this process? Mm-hmm. Some of the other more physical, tangible things um, were that we were looking at what other things were important to the people. And one thing very important to the people where we live is livestock. So we don't live in a place where we can have a, a real farm, but we decided to start small and um, noticed that that we enjoyed sheep more than some of the other more rowdy animals um, that are traditionally found. And so then Gabriel began a dialogue um, with some of the locals about acquiring sheep and the care of sheep and then went to the market one day with one of the locals and came back with three sheep and then more discussions and I was in the OR one day someone came in and said is Gabriel there and I said well I'm not sure he might be busy and they said I have a sheep to sell him and so then we acquired another sheep and then a few weeks later another sheep and so we have a, a little stockpile of sheep now and have been walking them sometimes around and it's been funny to us to see the reaction of the locals because acquiring the sheep didn't come purposely with saying we want to be more like the locals again it was just this natural like uh, outcome of wanting to get to know and to value the culture more but as we were walking the sheep one day 
two white people walking with a small herd of sheep behind them, we were watching the interactions of other people with us, and, and they would laugh and smile and try to talk with us. And so we saw that, that perhaps it had this effect of making them realize that we're humans too. We're not just some white aliens who've descended upon them, who have different cultures, different backgrounds, and live life in a completely different way as like robots or strangers, but there are some things that we can share in common. So I, I want to explore this just a little bit, and Gabriel, um, so you guys perceive that uh, people are having a positive reaction to some of those steps that you are undertaking. Do I hear that correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And Sarah started also taking the bikes outside. Taking? The bikes. Uh-huh. Usually we would take vehicles to go around or to go trying to find a good internet connection in the road. But then Sarah proposed to fix some old bikes we had in the compound, and we fixed them. By the way, in the process of fixing them, we get to know some people in the local market that would fix bikes, that would exactly. change tires. And we had to buy a tear and we had to fix it. And then we started using those bikes that were bought in the local market, fix it there, similar to the other bikes, to go to our internet point to get a connection. Mm-hmm. And I, every time we go, I see all the local ladies. They would look at Sarah, they would smile, they would stop walking, they would look at her. and I don't know what goes in their mind. I think they think we are more humans. I try to imagine if I was in my country and then I would see some people coming in helicopters or some people coming in flying aircrafts. I would be looking and thinking, oh, those people are not like me. They are not humans. Maybe it's the same link between a vehicle <coughs> and a bike. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's, that's a very good uh, analogy right there. Um, I would want to just dig a little bit deeper. Why, why are you guys doing this? What's the motivation? So our reason for being missionaries is that we want to give people an opportunity to know the truth about the character of God, that God is a God of love. Our goal is not to force people to become Christians or Adventists or to baptize people. Our goal is to give them an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. And so in order to be able to have that kind of an influence, we have to be able to gain the trust of the people that we're working with. And to gain their trust, we need them to realize that, that we are trustworthy, we're, we're on their level. Um, and approachable, huh? Approachable, yeah. And that we are humans, too, who can relate to God in a way that they can relate to him as well. Another point could be also to for our uh, own quality life, uh, life's quality. Because there people are able to survive eating the beans, cakes in the morning, and eating a peanut butter, for example, or using their bikes, or having their livestock. And there we don't have several things that in our country we would have for our, our own pleasure and sports. So doing those things, we are also improving the quality of our life over there. In this land that is hot, is dry, 
it's very fun to see the sheep going all around and running around the house. It, it brings uh, a little feeling of home. It is good for Sarah to do some sport as she goes biking after her long days in the hospital. And it's tasty to go eat with the local ones in those restaurants, this lady with the pots around. It's a tasty food made with local products. So all those things bring pleasure and, and joy in this hard place. They know how to be joyful in their place, so we are trying to get closer to those ways, so not what, artificial ways. What happens, you are able to mingle uh, I am very unfortunately, I have seen too many situations where uh, missionaries would come to a country, to a place, to a community, but would have a very hard time to actually mingling with the community, to actually uh, having a chance to, to talk with people and to interact with people, as, as uh, unfortunate as this sounds. So you guys are taking very real steps in, in, in creating those inroads and, and moving around the community, being around people, uh, allowing those open doors. Uh, and it was not further. easy. It was not easy. Sometimes I get hurt. Tell when me a I little spend, bit more. When I Tell spend us. time talking with some people, sometimes I get hurt because they start asking me to do things that I'm not able to do. Like they ask me to bring them to my country and they, they'll be happy there and, or give to them my house. Sometimes I'm hurt or sometimes I, I am a little bit sick after eating with them. And some days I don't want to spend time with them. I stay in the house. I wait Sarah to come back from the hospital to talk or I'll put some um, songs from my, from my country. I will try to read some. I don't want to be in touch with them. So it happens sometimes. And very normal. And then I get more courage and I go outside and I, again I can enjoy or the things that they did that I felt hurt are no more um, they are no more in my memory so I can come back and I tell, I tell myself I'll go, I'll give them another chance maybe for them they are even aware that something that they did hurted me but I, I have after resting some time back home and with the other missionaries from our country um, I can go again and start again the process Sarah how do you cope with the differences that you guys encounter. I think um, we have had a lot of challenges um, with with really feeling like we're able to effectively minister there. And so some experiences we've had, we have learned the hard way. Um, I think a great lesson that we learned during the summertime was by watching a very respected um, local who lived in the capital city but came to help us for a crisis. So when he came to the town where the hospital was located in, he immediately showed up and said, okay, Sarah Gabriel, I need you to take me to see the prefe, we need to see the mayor, and we need to see the county medical director. And so I was, I guess, a little bit surprised and I'd worked a long day and thought, oh, I really don't want to spend all evening meeting with these local authorities. But we knew it was important to this leader and so 
we did. We went to the house of each of these community leaders, and in each one, the local leader or the uh, leader Adventist from the country would would introduce himself to this local authority. He would interact with them a little bit, try to find some common points in interest, um, drink some water or eat a little something that they offered him. And so he did that with with each one of these local authorities. And it really struck me how he knew that in his culture, this was the way to have influence on people. When you go to a new place, you need to introduce yourself to all of the people of authority. And so looking back now, I wish that I had known that because we could have perhaps had a a greater um, influence on the people sooner if we had also presented ourselves um, to the authorities and and done more of these um, presentation, food-sharing type activities. That's an excellent example. So there are two things that I hear you're saying. First, you got a cultural guide, someone who actually showed you part of the way, which is precious. And second, um, you've learned something what that what that person does, mm-hmm. which is important, how to mingle with the community, just another way of mingling with the community out there. Um, friends, looking back at the month you lived in the community there, what would you do differently? And you've mentioned one. Gabriel, anything else that you would do differently now, looking back? I discovered a book that helped me understand what finances and means in in African friendships. It's a little bit caricatural, but it helped me to reveal some things that happened to me, and unfortunately I I had to learn by experience. I would have a friend that I invested some time talking with him, and then he would give me a wrong price. It was not the price that the store was selling. He would add a double to it. And this broke my my trusting him in the beginning and for a couple of weeks I stopped talking with him and thought that he was dishonest with me asking more money than that he was supposed to and I was hurt with this but then reading this book it helped me understand that it's a little bit more complex and things like that can happen another thing is also I try to refuse to make loans to local people and to give money my first reaction was, I am going to buy his friendship if I give him money or if I give him this loan. But m- more I think about, I think I realized that maybe it was some poor choices and maybe sometimes people felt that I didn't want to establish a relationship with them, a friendship, because I refused the loans. So maybe um, when we will go back to our field, we will try to, in an intelligent way, try to help, maybe give some gifts to people, maybe have some money to help and to give some loans per month because I think it's really important for them. If you want to be my friend, you need to be open to share your what you have and your funds are targeted. I see. So that leads me to uh, another question. What kind of limitations, guys, have you found in your desire to be part of this community, to truly mingle, go about it, uh, be there among the people? 
um, are you limited in any way by the fact that you're foreigners? And what are those limitations? There are huge limitations. So we are by no means truly living like a local. We live in a house that was constructed by a missionary team. We have electricity for the most part, running water. We have some of our pots and pans that we brought with us. We have a refrigerator, things that no one else in the town has. And we, when I first arrived, I struggled some with that. You know, is, is this a good thing? Should we be living in a mud hut and cooking on a charcoal fire and buying the food we need to eat every day and not having a way to be able to preserve it? But I'm a physician at the hospital. Gabriel also works. And the thing with living local is that it takes time. It takes a lot of time because meal preparation takes the entire day if you have to go out and buy or search for the charcoal or the wood to make your fire, and then you have to boil the water and, and get things going, and we simply, with our busy workloads, don't have the time for that, um, nor the time to go out and buy food every day. And so I think that's one huge limitation in time. And then the other is longevity, because no matter how long I live in this host country, I will never be a true member of the society. And so we have to think some about what will help us to, be, to have a sustained ministry in this place, because I enjoy camping, but if I had to camp 365 days of the year while working 80 hours a week... I don't know that I could do that for very long. And so we've had to kind of pick and choose, okay, what things are going to make our life so that we can last here for years? And for us, those things are running water, having semi-reliable electricity, um, and living on the hospital compound um, because we see ourselves as not just short-term for a couple of weeks or a couple of months missionaries, but long-term missionaries. So, again, time and longevity, the biggest ones. I'm going to ask a question now, and it, it will be more of a reflection question. Before I do that, though, uh, I'm hearing that there, there are two sides to a paradox, to, to a spectrum. On one side, if we are too aloof, if we are too uh, beyond the community with things we have and who we are and so forth, there's just no communication, no connection, and we don't want to be there. On the other side, if we are presuming we can be part of them, them, it's also impossible. People would never accept us like you said. They put us in a certain box, and they, are, they probably have a box in their culture to put you in. Um, so with, between these two ends of this, of this tension, um, you're trying to find a way of being in peace with your identity and, uh, and, and, and really have open doors into this community. Gabriel, this is a question for you. How do you feel? Have you guys arrived uh, at a point where you are comfortable? Yes, no, and then why? It's hard to say we feel comfortable because we are in a process to study and to understand the local culture. And I'm not a specialist in this sub-Saharan country. 
But I realized that people there, at least some of them, they are specialists in missionaries. Because they... They are specialists in, in missionaries. missionaries. Very they have seen missionaries coming 40 years ago and going. We met some people. That's so when people were building the hospital. They were there building the walls of the hospital. And they went back to the country. And they saw another family coming. After four or five years, they went back, coming back. So they became specialists in missionaries. And sometimes it's a, it's a little bit hard for me to face those people that are already intellectuals in how to gain the heart of a missionary or how to get closer to him or how to get a job from him. And in the beginning of my time there, I, I remember one of our guards, he would come to me and ask Bible questions and show some interest gradually. And then I would say, Sarah, she, he, he, he's getting interested in this. He asked me those questions. I'm, I'm getting excited. Maybe you could start studying the Bible with him. And he, he did the other week. He asked me if he, if he could study the Bible with me. And then he asked me for a financial loan. And we thought about and we we didn't have the means to do it, so we refused. And then he didn't ask any more other questions about the Bible. And we saw he doing the same thing with another missionary, another person. So it's a process. We are starting to to know about them, how to interact with them, how they live, but they know already uh, a lot about us and how we so what they know is, it seems to me that you guys are serious. You're not there for the job. You're not there for uh, a status or foreign life experience. You're there for them, and you're doing your best to be among them and talk with them and care for them. And so, so often they have examples. They say, oh, this missionary here, he would not talk with us. He would not be nice. And... But this other one here, he would be all the time in the market. He would talk with a lot of people. This one was our hero. Hmm. And afterwards, I would discover that the, the hero was the one who gave a nice um, shoes for him before leaving. Or, and then sometimes it's hard for me because I want to be the hero. I want to be the good one who spent all day in the market. But <laughs> I'm not. Sometimes I'm reluctant in establishing the relationship and I know one day I'll be leaving I'll not stay there forever but he's going to stay there forever so yeah it's it's not easy it's hard to know how how to Gabriel give a testimony Sarah thank you so much for sharing with us um, it's a process right you guys are in the process you're seeking you're searching there's so many out there those who are listening, who are going through a very similar process. We haven't arrived. We all haven't arrived yet. But what you have shared with us today will, uh, will be of help. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Thank Alex, you. for your time. Very much. The experience of Sarah and Gabriel stirs my heart and provokes my thoughts. As missionaries, we cannot but mingle with people. Isn't that our task? Isn't what we are called to do? And yet, it doesn't come easy. By itself, this task is not simplistic. Crossing a gap of culture is what this podcast is all about, friends. We at IWM want to help you find a place of service among the people. Be in a warm proximity to them. Be accepted by your host community. We want to help you. Be in a place where the hand and touch of Jesus can be clearly felt, understood, and appreciated. 
We invite you to pray for Sarah and Gabriel. They are attempting it right now. Perhaps we'll have them back sometime and hear more of their story. And our prayers will make a great difference. Now, as you are considering your very own experience, I invite you to respond to this question. What have you found to be most difficult about gaining access to your host community? Now, I'm posting this question in the IWM online community on Workplace. If you're there and will see it, please respond. Easier still, just write me an email. Let us know your thoughts. This will shape the future episodes and interviews that we'll bring to your attention. My email is otta at gc.adventist.org. As always, the only way for this episode to reach the right audience, the right heart, the right mind is you. Not more, not less. You probably know someone who will appreciate listening to this conversation with Sarah and Gabriel. Help them not to miss it. I'm Alex Ott, and am already looking forward to our meeting next week. <laughs>